My pleasure to introduce Professor Mike Bernardo. Thank you. Well, I'm delighted to be here and uh, wish uh, Andrew uh, a wonderful retirement. Uh, it's been really fun to know him for about the last 12 years in a, in a very different context because we haven't done a research project together. In fact, I met him when uh, Harold Varmus invited myself and some other uh, faculty at NIH to try to create graduate programs with uh, uh, universities. And on this slide, you can see the, 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 the big three at that time uh, who, who got involved in this. Uh, Gavin, who was really the catalyst that said you should do this at Oxford. Uh, John Bell, who had the energy and the, the power to make it happen. And, but Andrew, quietly in the background, suggesting how to actually do it. And, and uh, also mentoring the very first student in the program, Jean Lee, who is on one of the previous slides, one of the papers. And uh, the, the, the suggestion he made, which turned out to be transformational, was we were trying to figure out how we do this. If we recruited American students, would they work at Oxford? Would they work at the NIH? And he said, well, why don't they just work at both? And so the concept that we started the program with was that every project, every PhD project, would be an obligatory collaboration between a, a principal investigator at NIH and a principal investigator at, at Oxford. And they would work together on a collaborative project. And, and that was really more revolutionary than I think we, we thought at the time. It's the only program I'm aware of that, that does that. Uh, there is now a couple other programs at NIH that do that. And uh, it's been tremendous in bringing labs together and bringing resources together and creating virtual faculties across the globe. And, and the, 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 prog the program has, um, uh, has uh, extended itself uh, first uh, to Cambridge, which I guess makes sense because Cambridge came from Oxford in the beginning anyway. And, and, uh, and uh, now we have a Welcome Trust component that brings UK and EU students into the program. Uh, and uh, we have about 20 students intake uh, per year. Uh, about 30 of these percent of these are now uh, MD-PhDs, so they're medics who want to address uh, 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 disease questions from the scientific basis. And I, I last count we had, about 60 American students have, through this program, received their DPhil from, from Oxford. And so that's uh, a, a terrific uh, accomplishment of the program. They've all been these collaborative uh, arrangements that, that Andrew originally uh, had suggested to us. Now, I also know Andrew in a slightly different context, and that was I was uh, uh, fortunate to be invited on one of uh, Zhao Ningzhu's uh, tremendous journeys through China, ostensibly to look at clinics and try to understand how an HIV vaccine would be deployed, but many other things were accomplished on the trip. And it, it started very conventionally here. You can see this is, I think, in Beijing, the starting start of the trip. And we actually all got into a van and traveled up the road till the road stopped and then on the dirt path up into Inner Mongolia and uh, the grasslands out there. And as the journey went on, of course, we, we left civilization behind. Uh, this is one of those tiny little Mongolian horses that the tiny little Mongolian horseman ride. And Andrew's not so tiny, so it was a bit of a mismatch. Uh, but, but as we left civilization behind, and I, this is a little scandalous, the, the journey became more spiritual, not in the sense of, of inner spirit, but maybe in terms of the spirits, the Chinese fire water that they gave us along with these, these lovely white scarves to welcome us to Mongolia. And it was a really fun time. It was a great chance for myself and also my, my older son was with us to, to get to know Andrew and Kate uh, a little bit better. And, and we, it, it was a very memorable trip, of course, as all of Xiao Ning's journeys to China uh, are. <laughs> so, um, so it was great fun uh, to do that. Uh, so um, I, I just want to do a little bit of science in the spirit of, of, of what's already been said. 
And uh, our work uh, uh, over the past uh, 20 years at the NIH has been to look at immune regulations through the prism of human genetics and human genetic uh, disorders. And it's a lot what, what Rolf Sinker and I said earlier this morning, which is the, the patient never lies. Uh, um, and, and, and I think what he said in, his, in the context of his remarks and what, what I'll try to emphasize is the patient only doesn't lie, they, all, they surprise. And, and, and this story will be a, a surprise, uh, at least it was for us. And it started with these two little brothers who came to the NIH Clinical Center after having bounced around through a few different American medical centers uh, that had unusual findings. Idiopathic CD4 lymphopenia and normal B cells, a number of minor infections, uh, but otherwise pretty normal and healthy. And that's why I show their picture, their coloring, and they run around and they do all the things little, little boys do. But with one, one very ominous thing, and that is sky high levels of Epstein virus, completely uncontrolled. And of course, the, the, the concern there is that this often leads to uh, lymphoma. And when we worked them up, we found out that uh, uh, the, uh, when you stimulated T cells through the T cell receptor, it was uh, pretty substantially uh, defective in both CD4s and CD8 cells. But if you bypassed the proximal TCR and went to the second messengers using uh, chemical stimulants like forbolester and anamycin, uh, they responded normally, suggesting that they had a proximal T cell receptor signaling defect, and of course their B cells were, were normal. So uh, you know, using uh, the fact that there were two brothers, we carried out lionization analysis, found out that in fact there appeared to be an, a deleterious X-linked gene because the mother was skewed against the allele that both brothers had inherited. And by, by uh, whole exon sequencing of the X chromosome, we discovered uh, a, a deletion in a gene called MAGT1. Uh, uh, that threw the reading frame out of, uh, out of, out of uh, whack and uh, led to a, a depletion in their cells of this uh, protein. And uh, this was a little disconcerting because this protein was a magnesium transporter and, and very little known about only two papers in the, in the world's literature. It turns out very little is actually known about magnesium uh, transport at all. Uh, there are 22 receptors in our cells of which uh, only one, the one that uh, trip M6 that reclaims magnesium from the kidney has actually been studied in any depth. And this just shows that it is a transmembrane protein. This uh, uh, paper done by a Canadian biophysicist showed that when you uh, uh, put the messenger RNA into xenoposocytes, you get a very strong magnesium uh, current. Uh, and he tested a large number of other divalent cations, including calcium and cadmium and manganese. And none of those uh, can be transported by this uh, protein. So the, so the question then became, how does a magnesium transporter affect uh, T cell receptor signaling? And uh, for, for be, be, because we don't have a lot of time to, to discuss this, this finding, uh, I just want to summarize a lot of work that we did learning the, 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 how, to, how to study magnesium. And uh, using a fluorescent probe, uh, we actually could find that there are, in, in, in our cells, three pools of, of magnesium. One is the pool, which we call pool one, uh, for lack of a better term, is, is the usual one that we all know about, uh, uh, which is the most abundant. It's very high, actually, 17 to 20 millimolar, depending on the cell type. And this is the bound pool that's the obligate cofactor for ATP, nucleic acids, and other polyphosphates, phospholipids, and, and enzymes. And that's the one we all learned about in, in biochemistry. But in addition to that, we could find very clearly that there's a free basal pool of about one millimolar whose biochemical function had been uh, unknown and is actually uh, a, a, a defective in, the, in these two boys. 
Uh, so it's not in equilibrium with the bound pool, because their bound pool, the total magnesium in their cells, was, was just about normal. Also, which was, was quite interesting for, from, for immunologists, is that we, when you stimulated through the TCR, uh, we actually saw a very rapid magnesium flux into the cells uh, that was uh, flatlined in these two, two brothers. And uh, this is not true in B cells. Ligating the B cell receptor does not cause a magnesium flux. And furthermore, the calcium flux that has been well known in T cell receptor uh, stimulation was largely blunted in, uh, in these two, two kids, which would explain why their responses weren't normal. So, so, so why is that? And so given what we knew, we hypothesized that this channel would be somewhere between the early T cell receptor complex because it was gated by TCR stimulation, so something had to be working about the T cell receptor, but then later downstream uh, uh, targets would be abnormal. And this, this blot really, I think, uh, summarizes the, the key features, and that is if you look at the phosphorylation of CD3 zeta, a LAT uh, or ZAP70 uh, 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 things that are going on early on in these very early steps of tyrosine phosphorylation, those are normal. But if you look downstream, uh, uh, for example, at the, the um, phosphorylation of PLC gamma 1 and things downstream of that, for example, diacylglycerol, which stimulates PKC theta, uh, uh, these are, this was markedly delayed. Uh, normally, it's almost as fast as you can get the protein on the gel. You see the phosphorylation uh, after TCR stimulation that activates PLC gamma 1, and you can see it's delayed in the patients out to about an hour. And PKC theta, which depends on that, is, is delayed. And as I showed you in the previous slide, the calcium flux is, is blunted. So, so this is really important, this flux, for, um, for getting the T cells to respond normally. But it's not a complete shutoff of the T cell receptor, but, it, but it's a delay and a discoordination of the, um, uh, of the, of the, of the uh, signaling process. And so we then went, I, I, I spoke to a number of our collaborators around the country uh, and around the world about this phenotype and, and managed to accumulate seven cases of this. And you can see they all share this very ominous feature of extraordinarily high EBV. And in fact, uh, all the uh, patients over the age of 14 had developed uh, lymphoma. Two unfortunate individuals, one of whom, whom is deceased, actually developed two independent primaries, uh, uh, we think largely because of uh, the high EBV. These are all uh, EBV um, uh, uh, positive uh, uh, malignancies. So to understand, and, and so we call this, because of all these, these important features, X-linked magnesium deficiency with chronic EBV infection neoplasia, or X-men disease, which the little boys love when you tell them they're an X-men, they have a mutation, makes them an X-men. And, uh, uh, but to understand the clinical pathogenesis, we need to explain why there's high EBV and how this relates to magnesium. And that led us to studies with, uh, of NK cells and CD8s, which, which, which primarily mediate antiviral immunity. And uh, what we found is a very, very selective defect. Uh, m most of the activating and regulatory receptors of NK cells and CD8s were normal, except for NKG2D, which you can see in the patient here in blue, is, is much lower than in the, um, in the normal control. And killing through the NKG2D pathway is, is, is flatlined. And, and for a variety of studies, including the recent paper by Klaus Rahavsky, suggests that this m mode of NK-mediated uh, death is important for, for suppressing EBV. So, so what is NKG2D? Well, it's a, an activating receptor that, that is 
uh, on the cell surface with a co-receptor, uh, DAP10, in NK cells and also CD8, uh, a class of CD8 cytolytic cells. And it recognizes a specific set of ligands that are upregulated in virus-infected cells and in, in, in tumor cells. So the, the fact that this was constitutively down in, in these children that we examined uh, made us hypothesize that it wasn't related to the flux. There was no flux uh, uh, of, uh, by this receptor in, in NK cells, but rather maybe it was due to the decrease in the free basal magnesium, not the, the magnesium flux. And the interesting thing about that, that hypothesis, it gave us an experiment to do, which was could we try to build back up the magnesium in the cells and uh, see if, it, it, if we could fix it. And so we, we did that experiment, and to our astonishment, it actually worked. So if you just put T cells from the patients in higher levels of uh, magnesium, so super physiologic doses, usually tissue culture media or, or blood will have about one millimolar, you actually see that there is uh, an increase in uh, the free basal magnesium, and you also get a bump up of the NKG2D, which supports the idea that the low magnesium causes this uh, to be turned over. And I, I won't show you the data, but we know the message is normal. This is actually a turnover of the protein when magnesium is low. And, and even in fairly modest amounts of magnesium, uh, the uh, killing is restored. So it suggests that one of these other 20 or, or so uh, magnesium channels is a bypass pathway that if you bump up the magnesium, you can actually get the, the ion into the cells uh, in a way that's less efficient but, but still works. So being at the NIH Clinical Center, uh, one of the nice things we can do is in, in, in which I'm, you can probably do here at Oxford, is bring the patients in and actually study whether, oops, study what they can, what can happen. And I, I'm sorry, I took out the slide because I didn't know if I would have enough time. But what I'll tell you is that we have, maybe it's out of order. It is out of order, sorry. Um, what, what we've been able to do is do treat the patient with either oral or IV uh, uh, supplementation. Uh, and uh, what we found is that you can get the same result in a human that you can get in the test tube. And this, uh, I won't show you the free basal magnesium, but this just shows NKG2D uh, within uh, a few days of treatment with uh, IV magnesium, you can get it, it, it going up on both CD8s and, and NK cells. We've now done this with a high bioavailability a version of, of oral magnesium, and uh, it, the same thing happens. And this is a little tough to see, but if you do uh, fluorescence in situ hybridization for EBV genomes, uh, in B cells from the patient, you can see it's very, very high before you start magnesium. But within a week, it starts to drop in, in, in both the number of EBV positive cells and the number of genomes per cell. And that's just shown, shown here. So we now have uh, a three, two, two kids on it, a third one about ready to start. The first one being um, several months on, on oral therapy. And uh, the NKG2D levels are essentially normal. So uh, I, I don't want to oversell this. We don't know that this will be a long-term fix for these kids. We don't, obviously don't know at all about whether it would prevent a lymphoma and, and, and whether it would prevent us from having to do a bone marrow transplant. But what it does do is, is allow us in a, in, a, in a human to show this connection between NKG2D, Epstein-Barr virus protection, and, uh, and, and magnesium regulation, which I think is a nice uh, way to understand how this immunity against this virus, which is a very strong, uh, cancer-causing agent uh, uh, can work. So now I'll back up to this take-home messages, which are uh, really what I said already, that, that immunodeficiency can uh, result from mutations in this gene 
And uh, the reason is, is that uh, there's a uh, magnesium influx that re required for early T cell receptor signaling. So this is a new step in TCR signaling that hadn't been known before, and that it's not required for B cell signaling. So this is a, a T cell specific event, even though the receptor is in, in both types of cells. And that there are three compartments or pools uh, for magnesium, the bound, which is the one we know, but also a free basal and the rapid influx. Both of these are very important functionally for, for immune uh, responses, but, but in different ways. Uh, compartment three affects the calcium flux uh, by uh, uh, controlling the activation of PLC gamma one. Compartment two affects uh, proteins, glycoproteins such as NKG2D, uh, which are important for cytotoxicity. And we now know from some experiments that there's a whole range of glycoproteins that are abnormal doing glycoproteomics with Matthias Mann uh, uh, here in Europe. And uh, that compartment two can be restored by external magnesium supplementation, suggesting there's a bypass mechanism to complement. So um, I'll just uh, stop here and, and, and thank a few people uh, in the lab. Feng Yan Li, an MD-PhD student uh, who um, uh, actually had part of her training here at Oxford in the Princeton-Oxford uh, program, uh, worked in the lab here. Uh, and uh, uh, Ben uh, Chain de Lalande, a postdoc in the lab, did most of the work uh, that I showed you, but were helped by a large number of other people uh, in various parts of the project. And uh, with that, I'll just stop and again wish Andrew great, great luck and, and, and a lot of fun in his retirement. And uh, hope we'll stay in touch and do some things together. Thank you.